Chapter 11 Assorted Bad Hombres After Pete had ridden Sandy around the corral for a while and he had got him used to being mounted from the ground, Hatsy, without saying a word, let down the gate bars, then he swung up onto Raindrop and waited outside. Filled with excitement and pride, Pete walked Sandy slowly out and down the stream toward the first campsite he and Hatsy had used. Before they quite reached it, he tried to turn Sandy back. He didn't want to ride him too close to his beloved dunes. The horse might take a notion to run and rejoin his band. But Sandy didn't turn in response to the pressure of the single line on the hackamore. It took a little worrying with the help of Hatsy and Raindrop close alongside to get him headed back for the corral. But finally he did turn back and covered the low flat ground at a quick trot before the canyon began to rise steeply into the heart of the great peak. Then followed two days of practice with bit and bridle. There were hours of riding the horse inside the corral and outside, too, in the little park, guiding him with the gentle pressure of reins on his neck. Never once did Pete pull hard on the half-breed bit between the horse's jaws. Hatsy had told him that this was the best bit for a cow pony. The spade, or U-shaped bend, in the bit was not high enough to give the horse great pain if the reins were pulled. The cricket will give him something to play with, Hatsy said. He was talking about the little squeaky roller between the open ends of the spade which Sandy could turn with his tongue. Many times Pete used his knees to press Sandy's side and help indicate which way he wanted to turn. The horse began to find a way of pleasing his rider by turning the way the pressure of reins and legs indicated. Now at last, Pete said to himself, I can ride Sandy anywhere. I caught him and gentled him all in a month. Let's do a little mountain climbing. Hatsy suggested one morning. You've never been very far up this creek, and there's some pretty country to see. Anything that combined riding and new country was fine with Pete. As they worked along the rough bottom of the creek beyond their little park, Pete enjoyed watching the muscles of his horse and feeling the power in them. There couldn't be a more sure-footed animal either, he kept thinking to himself while Sandy picked his way among boulders. The whole world was brighter than it had ever been. The pale blue columbine and the dark blue monk's head and flax were like splashes of the sky in the gravelly earth. Along the water were shooting stars with their yellow points and back-swept purple petals. Fringed blue gentians followed close to the creek and higher on the hillside Indian paintbrush splashed red beneath the slender gray-green aspens. At several points they rode into small parks like the one in which they were camped. In one of these they startled a fawn. Never saw a fawn young as that, without a doe somewhere nearby, Hatsy said. Maybe the doe's over the ridge, though, and we'll come back in a while. Come to think of it, there wasn't any doe with the fawn I got tangled up with the other day, Pete said. Suppose this is the same one? Not likely, Hatsy answered. We're a long way from there, and too many things could happen to a little fellow like that in a week. It's funny, though. Sandy and Pete were in the lead as they turned a sharp bend. There the country became rougher. The horses had more difficulty picking their way. Just as Sandy worked cautiously around an outcropping boulder, he snorted, reared back, and spilled Pete off into the creek. Sandy, riderless, lunged off downstream, but he stepped on the reins that dragged under his big feet. The spade of the bit gave him a sharp dig at the roof of his mouth, bringing him to a confused halt. Now Hatsy grabbed the reins and kept him from bolting. Pete scrambled to his feet, drenched and confused. He shook the water out of his eyes and tried to see what had happened. The first thing he, his eyes met was a small brown shape disappearing over a fallen log. Hey, Pete yelled. It looks like a bear cub. He turned, looking for Sandy, and saw his hat tumbling away down the creek. I got Sandy. 
You grab your hat, the old man called to him. In a minute, Pete had his sombrero and was at Sandy's side, stroking his neck and talking to him in a soothing voice. When the horse was calmed down, Pete looked up at Hatsy with some uncertainty. What in the world did I do wrong that time? he asked. Hatsy grinned pleasantly and said, There ain't a horse that can't be rolled, and there ain't a man that can't be throwed. In other words, it wasn't your fault. I never did know a horse that was friendly with bears. Raindrop would have spoke too, if he'd been in the lead. When Pete mounted Sandy again, the horse kept shying back from the place where he'd seen the bear. Finally, Hatsy advised, Let's not try to go on now. We don't have to catch any trains. We better take Sandy back to camp and let him get the bear out of his system. A heavy rain the next morning decided them not to ride at all. Instead, they spent most of the day in the wagon where the canvas top kept them dry. Hatsy busied himself repairing moccasins while Pete wrote postcards to people at home. Finally, Hatsy broke a long spell of silence. Being under canvas this way reminds me of the time I was in a tent at Creed, up north of here a ways. Creed was a rep-snorting mining camp in those days. The saying went that it was day all day in the daytime and there was no night in Creed. I guess that was true for some of the gun-toting bad men, but it didn't go for me. I was just a little shaver. It was a couple of years before the Utes bored my scalp. Hatsy paused a while as if to remember just how it was and then went on. Well, I was asleep in our tent when gunfire in the next tent woke me up. I stayed kind of quiet until the shooting was over, and then I stuck my head out under the edge of the tent, kind of inconspicuous-like, to see what the racket was about. It was about something, all right. I saw a bunch of men my dad had told me were gamblers carrying Bob Ford out the next tent, feet first and full of lead. You mean THE Bob Ford? Pete asked cautiously. Sure. There was only one Bob Ford as far as I knew. The name never got very popular those days among the kind of people that was looking for names for their prospective heirs. It was Bob Ford, sure enough, the man who shot Jesse James. He'd made some prospector plenty mad about something. Most people seemed to feel that the prospector had cleaned up and beautified the scenery considerable by the trigger work he'd done. But mainly, I was glad he hadn't made a mistake and poked his gun into the wrong tent. They were all just about alike and crowded together a little too close for much target practice. As Hatsy finished, Pete turned over on his back on his bedroll and stared at the gray canvas wagon cover above his head. He tried to imagine what it must have been like in the early days. After a while, he stretched, got up, and lifted the flap of the wagon. The unusual all-day rain showed no sign of stopping. Pete didn't particularly care if he could get Hatsy to talk some more. Did you know anyone else like Bob Ford in those days? he asked. I can't say he was a personal friend of mine, Hatsy replied, but I met up with Soapy Smith on the same trip to Creed. Seems Soapy ran to town. Every once in a while he would need a little extra cash, and he always got it quick and easy from folks like my dad and me. He saw us coming, and the greenhorn must have been written all over us. Anyway, he offered to sell us a bar of soap that was wrapped in a dollar bill, and he was only going to charge us a dollar for the whole thing. That seemed like a good bargain any way you looked at it. So Dad got a bar for himself and a bar for me, which was exactly the kind of person I was hankering for just then. Funny thing was that when we got the soap, those dollar bills had kind of evaporated. 
We never could figure out how Soap had lifted him. We thought we hadn't taken our eyes off him. But that experience taught me two things. One was how Soap had got his name. And the other was that you should never trust paper money. I never cared anything but silver dollars since then. Is Creed still there? Pete asked. Sure, but all the bad men and most of the good men too cleared out, Hatsy answered. Some of the tough hombres turned into cattle rustlers. There's always fellows like that around where there's a nickel to be made. There aren't rustlers anymore, are there? Pete asked him. Just as many as ever, Hatsy answered. They got newfangled ways of stealing cows, though. Same as the ranchers got newfangled ways of growing them. Only last summer they caught Wall-Eyed Willie, toting boiled beef out the valley in a fancy refrigerator truck. Next thing you know, they'll be using the helicopters. What do you mean, in a refrigerator truck? Pete asked, not quite believing the story. Wall-Eyed Willie used to drive up at night near where there was likely a bunch of critters. Then he and his men would slaughter a few, skin them bare to hides, and heave the meat into the cooling truck. By next morning, that meat's in some butcher shop beyond the mountains. Hey, Pete exclaimed. Do you think suppose Moore's a rustler? Could be, but it doesn't seem too likely. His camp's up where the cattle don't run. Still, we might look into it. Maybe those tire tracks we saw were from a refrigerator truck, Pete insisted. And maybe they was nothing but Preacher Peebles' old pickup truck, too, Hatsy said. He's the kind of minister who doesn't think a soul needs saving unless it lives a long way from any church. He's been known to go clear up above the timberline to talk religion to some sheep herder. What about him? Pete asked curiously. That's all about him, Hatsy answered. And Pete could see that even if it rained a whole week, the old man was all caught up on talking. So Pete pulled off his slicker and his moccasins, climbed down over the wheel of the wagon, and moved the tethered horses to fresh grazing places. As Pete came up, Sandy turned his wet head and nuzzled him. He didn't seem to mind the rain. After all, he'd spent his whole life outdoors in every kind of weather. Pete hoped it would be clear the next day so they could get on with the horses' training.